So to preface the beginning of this conversation, um, podcast, storytelling, whatever you want to call it, um, we've been sitting here waiting to press record for a little while because it just feels weird, um, out of place. Honestly, it feels like pretty much the last few months. Everything that we do feels wrong, feels weird, and feels out of place. Um, so I guess we start with talking about who we are. We are John and Nick, and um, we think the ultimate point of this is eventually to be able to talk about grief openly, and and a grief that I hope nobody has to ever deal with again, but I know that if this podcast has managed to find you, unfortunately, you're part of a community that you never wanted to be part of. Um, so what we're talking about is we have recently lost uh, an infant daughter at a week old um, that we were very much excited for, very ready for, very everything for. Um, I think every baby's spoiled and every baby's loved and every baby's, you want you want the world for all of them, but I can tell you for sure that our daughter, whose name was Leah Kayan, sorry, whose name is Leah Kayan because she is still with us. Um, Leah was very much wanted and very much needed and excited for and and it wasn't just us it was lots of folks out there were ready for her she had grandmother and grandfather in florida that were very excited for her um brothers three brothers and a sister here living near us that were very excited for um godparents and a little godbrother in michigan and nieces and nephews and cousins and aunts and uncles and and just everybody um try not to use anybody's names because i i don't it feels wrong to even put my own stuff out there so i'm going to try to avoid other people's names because i don't want to put other people's stuff out there so any of you that know me um i'm definitely the the talker of the group. I'm usually the one that kind of quiet at first, but then as soon as I start talking, I don't shut up. Um, and Nick here is the exact opposite. Um, Nick takes after her dad, um, who doesn't say much until it's time to say something. And then when she does say something, the whole room turns and starts listening. So I don't even, I don't even really know where to begin with this. Um, at at the beginning, so we um like I said we want to ultimately we want to talk about Leah and we want to talk about the grief of it and how kind of where we're at, which is ugly. Um, it's <laughs> it's ugly, but I think to get there, you kind of have to understand who we are. So we are a Currently 42 and 43 year old, um, happily married couple. We've been together since we were 16 and 17 years old. We met in between the fry station and a, 
and a frosty machine at a Wendy's. When I got back from vacation, she went walking down the hallway and I checked her butt out. Um, that's the, that's the honest truth. Um, and, uh, we honestly, we started dating cause she wouldn't talk to me. Um, like I said, I'm the talker. And once I start to talk, I want to talk. And, um, she wouldn't talk to me, but then again, at that point in time, Nick didn't talk to anybody. Um, so I had a, a manager that was really cool that let me kind of have my way with things. And I told her that I wanted to train Nick how to do this. And I wanted to train her how to do that. And I wanted her to be my person. So manager Pam, whose name I will say, Pam gave me the permission to teach Nick how to take out trash and grease, which is so exciting. So we spent the next hour uh, doing trash and grease, which in reality should take about 15 minutes, but I didn't want the first conversation we were having to end. And mind you, it was very much one-sided. Um, I might have got 10 words out of her, but I found out years, years later, not, not months later, years later, that she knew at that point that I was different. Um, I was different than anybody she'd ever dated or been around. And, and I knew, I knew the minute I checked her butt out that I wanted to ask her out. Um, she was definitely different than anybody I'd ever been around. Um, so we were just two completely different people or so we thought until we started really digging into it and realized that we're both family first people. Um, we came from families that the kids were first. Uh, and that's and that's where we're at in our life. Everything that we've ever done, every decision we've ever made has always been dictated by the kids' the, needs. The kids needs and, and, and how, how we could give the kids what they needed, not what they wanted. Sure, they got they got stuff they wanted. They're <laughs> they're they're well cared for. But um but it was more about what their needs were and everything we've ever done has been from there. So, you know, Nick and I, we started young. Um, we were high school sweethearts. Like we said, we've been together since 1994. Um, over Christmas break of 1995 into the beginning of January, 1996, Nick became pregnant. Um, at 17. So we were teen parents. Um, and we had a beautiful baby, beautiful baby girl, um, just as excited as you could have ever been. When she was born, we were 18 and 19. Um, Nick was had just finished her senior year of high school. I was finishing my first year of college. We weren't living together, but we were, we were doing our best to raise her together as, as parents. I mean, Nick was living at home with her mom and, and dad and her, and her younger brother, um, I was living with some roommates on campus, but we were getting together as much as we could, and we were trying to be good parents. Um, we didn't get married right away. We made the decision to wait. We didn't want to just get married because we had a child. We wanted to We wanted to be good parents. I came from a divorced family. Um, I grew up with lots of dads that weren't mine. Uh, my grandfather was wonderful in my life. Um, many of my mom's friends took active roles in being a big brother. My couple of my older cousins um, did the best they could to be big brothers and dads and friends. And then I have a wonderful set of uncles out there that taught me how to 
hunt and how to work on cars and, and had a grandfather that got beamed more times than I care to admit with softballs while pitching to me in the yard from the time I was five years old. Um, so I didn't grow up without, but, but when our daughter was born, we knew that we were going to figure out how to give her everything. Um, and if that meant us together as a family, then that's what it meant. But if we weren't together as a family, we weren't going to be one of those couples that fought and picked and bickered and, and use the kids against each other. That's not who we are. It's not who we are as people. So, so moving on from that, um, we, we decided we want to get married. Um, and, uh, when our daughter was two. Our, da- our daughter was two. Um, so we, we, we decided we were going to get married. I asked him to marry me. We waited a year um, to, to be able to get married in the, in the summer. And we, were, had the, we knew what we were going to do and where we were going to be married and whose church it was going to be, and et cetera, et cetera. I had grown up in a church in, in mid-Michigan. And uh, it was a church that my grandfather had helped build, um, literally hammers and nails and cut boards in 1945 after the war helped build. And um, Nick and I made the decision we wanted to get married there. And uh, we go to talk to the elders about it, and they tell us that they won't marry us. But they won't marry us not because we already have a child together, but because we're living together. Um, Mind you, the very next weekend, they married uh, a family that was on their, one was on their third marriage, one was on their second marriage, had several kids between them, had been living together for years, but but they weren't members of the church. So it, it didn't set a bad precedent for members of the church. So my grandfather, like I said, who would help build that church, he was a little man and he was generally pretty quiet. Grandma did most of the talking in that relationship, but um, that little man stood up 10 feet tall and told the church and the elders exactly what they were doing and what mistakes they were making and the examples that they were setting. Um, and uh, I don't, I don't want to dig too deep into religion here, but I can tell you that I was exceedingly proud, and I've never felt so loved as to know that my grandfather went to that church two more times in his life. He went for the funeral of my mother four years later, and he was at his own funeral. Other than that, he didn't go. He honored what he said, that he felt that they were being unfair in the eyes of God and making decisions as people and not as spiritual leaders and and didn't love us and take care of us the way that we wanted to be able to raise a family and, and, and do what we felt was right. So again, one of my wonderful uncles had a friend that he had went to high school with and had went to war with and and had still stayed in contact with. There was a pastor, and this uh, wonderful pastor said that he would marry us. And um, we, we picked a church that was a Christian church, but non-denominational. Um, but the pastor said he would marry us, but... If we did counseling. Only if we did counseling first. And then once he met us and saw how we raised our daughter, would only do the wedding if our daughter was an active member of the wedding. Um, so he brought her up to the... Um, the word I'm looking for is podium um, during the wedding reception and asked her or sorry during the wedding ceremony and and asked her if she wanted to have us be her her mommy and daddy all the time and live together and be married and be happy and 
and and and she was um, very. Uh, <laughs> she's a little loud. Um, still is. She was very accepting of that fact. So we finished the ceremony, and it was wonderful. And we've been married ever since. Um, we found out. Well, I found out afterwards. Nick knew about two weeks before the wedding that we were pregnant with boy number one, who we will refer to as number two. Because um, the, the boys, we've, we've got three of them that are, well, now they're 20, 22, and 18. It's weird order to put that in, 18, 20, 22, but we just, we call them two, three, and four as a joke. So we had number two. And um, again, everything was going pretty good. And we were doing every decision we made. We were making for the kids. Um, jobs we took, homes we lived in, where we went for Christmas dinner, just anything we did, we made for the kids. And I say Christmas dinner because the first year with our daughter, we went to 14 Christmases and it was too much. So from then on, we decided that Christmas needed to be more about spending time with family as quality instead of quantity. And we, we changed some traditions. So we'll, we'll touch on those traditions at a later date, but not at this time. Um, so I, I apologize. I've been rambling for 12 minutes straight already. I, I hope I haven't lost every one of you, but I, I think it's important you, you said that you know who we are and where we come from. So without Dismissing the, the births of three and a four, we, we just kept moving on. We went, I finished college. We got full-time job. I'm going to go back. We got, yeah, I got to go back. So we've been married a year. Our first anniversary, we're trying to get ready to go out of town to just go celebrate a year. Our daughter's two and a half. Our son is four months. And, um, and our daughter's not feeling well. Something's not right. She's not acting quite right. She's she's like got bruises on her legs, which were pretty weird. She she looked pale, which was definitely weird. Um, she looked like she was a little bit like almost chunky for a two year old. She's like her stomach had got hard and like pot belly bloated. But the doctors couldn't give us a reason why they kept telling us that she was constipated and but we knew there was something more and I was at work and I sent John to the emergency room with her because I knew there was something more but I didn't know what my manager asked me why are you so panicked about this she's just constipated and I said because I'm afraid they're going to tell me she has a leukemia or something, I need to go. And she was very condescending and thought I was just a new mom and panicking. She said, well, I guess if you think you need to go, then you should go. And I did. So on my uh, my 21st birthday, we, we roll into the, sorry, 22nd birthday, my 22nd birthday, couple days short of our first anniversary, we go into the hospital. Um, our pediatrician had saw her that afternoon and said, look, we go to the ER. I'm going to tell them that you're coming. We're going to run scans tonight. We're going to find out what's going on. Maybe it's an intestinal blockage. Yeah. It, at that point, at that point, we're hoping for an intestinal blockage. We're hoping that she just needs 
surgery on her intestines. Like you're, you're just hoping against everything, like everything in you screaming that something's wrong, but, but you just don't know what it is. So we get into the hospital about seven o'clock that night. And by one in the morning we're we find out that our daughter has leukemia. Um, Specifically acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And, and they tell us, they tell us that, that you don't, you don't want cancer. Obviously nobody wants cancer, but if you got to have cancer as a child, you want, you want ALL. We know how to fight it. We know how to beat it. She's a girl. She's going to be in treatment for two years, two months. And um, you keep her healthy outside of cancer, and we're going to take care of the rest. So that's what we did. You know, Nick, I was 22. Nick was 20. When we left the hospital, we left on Nick's 21st birthday. We're home about two hours. Our daughter started to act really funny at home and was super lethargic. And we rushed her back to the hospital. We ended up spending another six days, this time in the intensive care unit. And she was not coding, but nearly coding for the first 36 hours that we were there because the chemo treatment had worked too well. And she had dumped all of these chemicals and drugs and byproducts and things that went to the kidneys and, and trying to process through the kidneys and liver and her, all of her um, analyte levels were all over the place and the, the doctors were doing everything they could because it was, it was affecting her heart rate and brain function and just all this stuff. And we're 22 and 21 years old. We have a four-month-old at home and just lost but not because Nick and I take a very – educated I guess approach towards things and we and we're very hard line about stuff we're like look this is this is it this is a problem that we can solve and here's what we're going to do we've got a plan and we're just going to move forward and if the and if it zigs a little bit we'll zag back and if it zags a little bit we'll zig back we're just going to kind of keep rolling with the punches um and, th and that's how we've always did everything and so just to to get back to it with with our daughter our daughter got really sick in, in November that year, and we had to stop chemo for two weeks. Um, she got your standard mid-Michigan croup, cough, bronchitis, pneumonia, whatnot. We had to take her off of treatment for two weeks. And um, other than that, her cancer treatment was two years, two weeks, two months. Sorry, two years, two months, and two weeks. They did their job. We did our job. And I don't want to make light of it because it was awful. There was lots and lots of awful. Um, I can tell you that holding your daughter in her arms when they go to get ready to do a spinal tap and they knock her out and you feel a two and a half year old that's 37 pounds go limp in your arms. Up until two months ago was the most terrifying thing I'd ever felt. Um, yeah, we don't have... Uh, we don't talk about this much. Um, it's not exactly dinner table conversation usually. Um, but, but our daughter, our oldest daughter knows her origin story. and She's fierce. Um, she, she thinks she's weak sometimes, but she is not. She is fierce. 
Her mother and I are so proud of who she is and where she's at in life and what she's trying to become. And, and yeah, just, so she beat it. So fuck cancer. Um, apologize for that. That might've hurt some people's ears, but, but fuck cancer. Um, So yeah, so, but in the meantime, being <laughs> in in, uh, in the middle of treatments, we had Nick and I had, had some marriage problems, which I think are understandable, and um, we split up for about six weeks, and it was it was not enjoyable for either one of us, but we decided to get back together and try to give it a go, and it, it was definitely more me than Nick. I was the child in the situation. I was the one that didn't want to deal with the reality of life and still wanted their cake. Um, I, I played the dumb boy card well for a little while. Um, but we get back together and, uh, man, we were back together a couple weeks and, uh, well, Hey, pregnant number three. Um, we'd always had a skill set and we were pretty good at it. Um, so we were pregnant with number three. And, um, got an opportunity to, I, I still had summer school to finish just to get my degree, but we had an opportunity to take a, a decently paying position, but it was 180 miles from where we were from. And we were from nowhere, nowhere. <laughs> podunk corn country, 7,000 people in our town. And we thought we were kings of the world. Um, so we moved 180 miles away from everything we'd ever known up north Michigan to real weather and uh, real life, real, real life. No, no moms to lean on, no, 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 no dad to call when you got a flat tire. No, uh, no, safety net. no safety net. No, no, hey cousin, I'm going to say your name. Hey cousin Jeff, come bail me out again. Um, not literally. No, yeah, not literally, literally. If anybody was bailing anybody out, I was bailing Jeff out. We all know that. So moving on. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we did this and and um, we have number three just before Christmas time in 2000. Everything's cooking along. We're pretty we're pretty happy. I've got a decent paying job. Um, Nick wasn't having to work. She was able to to raise the kids. The, um, our daughter was healthy enough to be able to go to preschool. Um, she was still doing chemo treatment for another nine months. She doesn't done chemo treatment until just before, just before Labor Day in in um, two thousand one. But um, she was able to go to preschool, and our and our and Nick was able to stay home with the with the two boys, with two and three, and just be a happy mom. And um, I was I was working in the field a lot. It was kind of stupid. We moved one hundred eighty miles up north so that I could take a job that had me in the field 130 miles back south. So I was working 40 miles from home home and Nick and the kids are living 130 miles up north from me in the middle of nowhere, winter, Michigan, 15 inches of snow rink type deal. Um, but uh, we get into we get into spring of 2001 and we've got an opportunity to stay with the same company but move back to near home to go back to the take a job in the old big city of East Lansing, Michigan, home of the Spartans, and uh, go back to try to go back and finish my degree. I ended up 
hadn't, I hadn't finished school because we were working so much and I was out of town all the time. I couldn't finish. So I took a position back in the main branch and was able to finish, start working on school again. And, um, you roll around to about, uh, well, give or take Christmas time again of, of 2001. And we've got three kids at home, the youngest of which is just turned one and, oh, Hey, we're, we're pregnant again. Number four is on the way. Um, so we, uh, we just keep trucking along. We were able to, to with some help from my mom, we we're able to buy our first house and, and I'm getting ready to be done with school. And, um, our daughter just came off chemo treatment. Yep, daughter been off chemo treatment and, and our life was okay. Like I wasn't making great money, but was, was making $18, $19 an hour, which in 2002 was pretty okay money, considering that I wasn't done with my degree yet. Um, Nick still wasn't having to work. She was able to stay home and, and raise kids and, and just be a mom. Um, to four kids in six years. Yeah. The, the, the kids are just, uh, they're, they're, to they're, be clear, our daughter had completed chemo treatments in 2000 by mm -hmm. 2002, she was off the chemo protocol, meaning she had been released from the clinic. She, she didn't need treatments anymore. She didn't need monitoring anymore. Or she didn't need lab tests anymore. They weren't following her as closely anymore. Just to be Yeah, just just to make it clear, like we, we don't want anybody to think that we were we were flipping with life and just oh let's just let's just keep popping kids out and consequences be damned. It wasn't anything like that. We every decision again that we've made has always been family driven. So so everything's going pretty good. And um I make the decision there, our last, our last son was born in August of 02. And again, we were doing okay, but it was, it was stressful. Like, you know, 18, 19 bucks an hour only goes so far. And we had a house and we had car payments and, and I made the decision that I wanted to be done having children. And Nick was on board with the decision, but not exactly supportive of the decision maybe. To be fair, this was also, I was four weeks postpartum. Right. Which would be the exact wrong time to be making any of these kind of decisions or to even ask the question or make the proposition. So I, I made the call. Um, I scheduled the vasectomy and I had one. And um, by all accounts, in, in uh, August of 2002, we, we, I, we, I don't know how to word it, I was done having children. Um, I, didn't, I didn't grow up with a number of kids in mind. Um, like, like when, you know, when you're a boy and you're growing up and you're just doing your thing and you're doing boy things and you're, you're playing, playing football or playing t-ball or hanging out with your friends and Nintendo and whatnot, you're not thinking about getting married and having kids. I, I was married and had two kids before I even realized what had happened. I mean, that, again, I don't mean to make that sound flippant, but it was just, it just kind of, just kind of went with it. But, um, but the reason we're telling you this is because 
Nick Nick wasn't done. Um, she had grown up and was thinking like, I someday I'm going to be married and I'm going to have five kids and and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And she's always told me that I was only necessary for the five kids. And then if I didn't want to be part of the rest of it, I could pack my stuff and go. Um, this woman, again, she's pretty quiet over here. She don't say a lot, but this woman's fierce too. That's where, that's where number one gets it from. She don't get it from her dad. She gets it from her mom. Um, Nick, Nick was made to be a mom. She, I'm going to have, we're going to have five kids. I'm going to, I'm going to have five kids. And, and I, and I don't, I don't mean to say that like that. I didn't want five kids. I didn't, I didn't even know what I wanted. I just, I wanted to be married and be a dad. And it, it didn't matter if it was one or 20. Like I didn't have a number. I just wanted to, just wanted to be a dad. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Kids are expensive. Married young, lots of kids young, and it's not easy. And seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, and, and 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 part of what spurred that is right after number four was born, one of our good friends, very 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 good friends, wonderful people, lost a baby at thirty days. Um, very unexpectedly, went to bed and everything was okay, and woke up in the morning and it wasn't. And all of a sudden, the world was upside down. And and then I had had the vasectomy, and then six weeks later, my mother died. I'm 25 years old. I grew up without a father, and now my mom's gone. And all of a sudden, life just smacks you in the face. You don't you don't know what to do. I can, I can remember sitting in the the room in the funeral home in the morning, and the in the basement of this funeral home, and they kept asking me what I wanted. And I, I think this is maybe the first thing I'm going to tell anybody that, that might hit home, is they ask you, what do you want? Well, I can tell you what I wanted was I wanted to not be in that damn room anymore. I didn't want a damn thing. I wanted my mother back. That's what I wanted. But I couldn't have that. And, that, and that's where we're here today with this conversation that we're trying to start about Leah, is that's what I want, is I want my fucking baby back. I want my baby back. And I'm angry. But huh, I want her back. But yeah, well, you're, you're sitting in that room and they ask you, well, do you, do you want this, do you want this vault or do you, do you want this coffin or do you, do you want, do you want this picture board and this memory thing? And what do you want your mother to wear? You know, I don't want any of it. Somebody else make the decision, please. I, I don't care because the only thing I wanted was my mother back and I couldn't have her and I was done making decisions. But so we... We, but we got, we got through that. Nick and I got through that. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It was horrible. Um, we, we got through the passing of my mom. We got through losing our friend's baby. We, we tried to be good friends to them, and we tried to be supportive. And now looking back, probably every other thing we said to them was hurtful. Oh. And not intentionally hurtful, 
but just unintentionally hurtful. For them to be around us with our baby that's three weeks younger than theirs had to be immeasurably saddening. And unfortunately, we had a falling out in the friendship, not right away, but over the next couple years. And um, we spent the better part of a decade not being friends, not not being enemies, just not being anything. And it was knowing where I'm at right now, I completely understand where they were at. Um, and Even though at the time it was easy to judge them by normal standards when now, when you know what it is, there are no normal standards to be held to. And it wasn't fair. No, there's no, there's no normal. Whatever normal used to be doesn't doesn't exist anymore. We're, we, we're on an alternative path now. We've just, we're, we're, it's not, nothing's normal. Nothing's right. Everything's upside down. But, um, so yeah, so we, we, we survived the, the passing of my mom. We survived the passing of our friend's baby. My, my grandfather, who was my, my dad, for all intents and purposes, passed away in 2005, and um, we we got we got through that, and we get to 2008, and the economy is in the tank, and Michigan has already been in the tank. Luckily, I still have been employed, but it was only because I was working for a governmental job at the time as a contractor and was able to keep my job through grant monies. But in 2008. It all came crashing down, and next thing you know, we have to pack up everything we own and move 2,000 miles across the country and try to start over. Oh, Yeah, all while knowing that uh, six months before I was laid off that her father was diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer, and they gave him a a life expectancy of five years if he did A, B, C, D, and F, and all the Z number two and exponential whatever. And um, and he did, and he fought. He fought hard, but he fought for his family. He 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 worked through metastatic bone cancer, worked through pain, that unimaginable pain, to be able to try to put more money in the bank for the pension for moving forward and to put more money into retirement to try to make sure that my mother-in-law is taken care of. And so that her, so that ultimately that his kids are taken care of down the line and grandkids and so on. And we picked up it, it six months after he's diagnosed, I'm living 2000 miles out West and I come out here and, and, and Nick and I were, We've had help. Don't get me wrong. We've had help. There's been people that have been helpful to us. Uh, they've lended years. There's people that have lended money, financially helped. Um, but we're grinders. We're not afraid to get dirty. We're not afraid to work. Um, we know what we want, and what we want is for everything with the kids to be fine. So if that's what it, if it takes, bloody knuckles and dirty hands and wearing Goodwill clothes and and shoes from the yard sale, then so be it. Yep, food box from the church, having people you don't know pay your heating bill. Um, 
I ain't proud. I, I'm a lot of things, but pride, pride, pride is not going to come before this fall. Um, it's not going to happen. But um, so when I, I came out here and I, I sent out a, <laughs> I just grabbed a yellow pages and I started looking up firms that did what I did. I moved to a major metropolitan area out west. Not major, major, but heck, a lot more major than anywhere we'd ever been. And um, I sent out 126 resumes to every company in the book that did anything along what we did. And I uh, got four job offers, picked a company, and went to work. And um, But I had, to, I, I had to go home and have a conversation with my father-in-law and make sure that they were going to be okay. And he told me, he's like, look, you have to do it. You have to do it. You've got, you've got kids to take care of. Everything I'm doing right now is to take care of my wife and my kids. Everything that you're trying to do is to take care of your wife and you take care of your kids. I'll be fine. Go do it. We'll see you in the fall. So we did it. So we picked up and moved across the country and went to work. Um, went to work for all of 16 months and the economy crashed out here. And on uh, number four, seventh birthday, all of a sudden I was unemployed, living 2,000 miles away from nowhere. And Nick wasn't working. And all of a sudden we're back in the same boat except worse. Yeah, Nick had, Nick had decided she was going to start school. She was in her first week of school when I got laid off and we have no job and no income. And I know nobody because the only people I know I worked with. Um, but we... Just use a little bit of contacts where we have. And again, like I said, we're not afraid to get dirty and bloody and do what we got to do. And we uh, we ate an awful lot of shredded beef tacos that year. Uh, wasn't the first year that we've ate an awful lot of shredded beef tacos. So any of y'all listen to this and know me when you ask me if I want to go for uh, any Mexican food when I'm home, the answer is always no. Because um, I can't eat any more shredded beef tacos. But... Um, <laughs> in Michigan, I can eat them. I can eat them in uh, out west because they're they're better. But so we, uh, anyways, we, um, you know, next I, I get a job. I get I get a job with a with like the one person I knew that happened to be hiring. It's nothing that I've done before, but it's this. It's the same field, but it's working for the other side of the table. It's working for the for the subcontractor instead of being the boss on the grunt, and that's okay. So we go to work and um, everything's clicking along and and Nick has got accepted into one of the premier nursing programs in the country. Um, she decided at 32 years old that she was going to go back to school for the first time and do the damn thing. And she did. She went in as a community college and was going to get a two-year degree and then there were so many people going to school using federal money because of the, the way the economy was that she got waitlisted into the nursing program and um, turned that that two-year program into uh, invite at the Honors College and one of the, again, one of the premier nursing programs on the West Coast. And she started, started transferred over and started going to school. And um, at that point in time, we had, we, we decided a while back, I skipped that, but we, because I was waiting for now, but we decided a while back that we'd wanted to have kids again. We wanted to have one more. So in 2006, I'd had a reversal. Uh, I'd had a vasectomy reversal, but it 
it hadn't worked perfect. I, I produce, but I don't produce very much. And the ones I produce don't move very fast. So and I, I had what they call antibodies. So they attack themselves. Um, so I was, I was, I, I am technically fertile, but not very much. But in 2010, we don't know 1000% that we were pregnant, but pretty sure, um, without getting too much into any medical, Nick's pretty right as rain. And, um, the only four times she hadn't been right as rain, we were, <laughs> we got, we got one, two, three, and four out of it. But, um, unfortunately her father passed in, uh, in, in 10, in 2010 and, just kind of from everything, from the stress of it and from, you know, you just never know with a, with a fetus if anything's right or if everything's right or if it's wrong or what, but we, we're, pre we're, we're pretty sure that we, that we miscarried really early on in 2010. Um, and, and it's definitely the only time that it ever happened. So we, um, I'm not, I'm not gonna say we moved on. That's not the right way to put it. But we just we just kind of went back to life. She went back to school. I went back to work. Um, by that point, I had managed to turn my crappy little job that I didn't like into a much bigger, crappier job that I really didn't like. But it paid a heck of a lot more money doing the same thing. Um, but I was on the road all the time. And um, but we still always kicked around the idea of yeah. So I. You go back, and, you know. Nick just pointed out I kind of skipped over Dad, and I, I don't mean I don't mean to skip skip over him. He's um, I mean the guy, the guy, the guy meant more to me than I can ever possibly explain. Um, I said I grew up with my grandpa, and I grew up with uncles and, and friends of my mom's and cousins and whatnot, but I never had a a dad dad until. Until Nick and I got together and 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 uh, big man sat me down to have a conversation to make sure that I wanted to <laughs> that I wanted to be a dad and I wanted to be a man and I wanted to do these things. Um, yeah, I don't. I, he said, I, "I don't mean to skip forward. What, what do you want to? What do you want to say? Tell me. Tell tell them they're listening. Tell them what you want to say." How handy was with the kids that they were kind of in the light of his life, I guess you'd say. And I feel like the reason we had them so early, so close together, was so that he would have time with them. We didn't know how short it would be. But we're grateful. Even though it was hard, starting when you're so young and having them so close together, but it meant that Dad had more time to be with them, that they have memories of him. He, he used to he do work construction, and he, he'd come home in the summer, and he just, you know, 16-hour day, and exhausted and, and sweaty and, and and this was a man that used to work like that would come home and would always come home take a shower before he would ever come downstairs to sit down and have dinner and do anything else but he would when, when number one was born in september 
96, still hot, one of the hottest summers we had back there. He'd come in the door and filthy and, and sweaty and stinky, and he'd come in and just wash the elbow and clap his hands together. Go, okay, my turn. Give her over. And you can hear him. He had, he had big ass, he had big, huge hands like baseball gloves, and you can hear him smacking together, going, gimme, gimme, gimme. And he did that with all of them. Um, teaching the boys to run heavy equipment, and they got to roll around in the he was a Ford man. They all got to take turns shifting the Ford, and they, they, they helped him plant trees in the front yard and, and help feed the dogs, build the sandbox. And, and it was a very, very hands-on, very hands-on grandpa, was very much ready to be grandpa. I was very excited to be grandpa. Um, yeah, big man, I didn't mean to skip over you. It's just it's... Um, <laughs> You're hard to talk about too. Uh, I have a lot of, I don't think we had a lot of things that weren't necessarily said, but I certainly had a lot of things that I was still looking forward to. Um, since we've, I'm gonna skip ahead just for a second, but since we've been able to open our business and be out on our own and, and take something that I didn't love and turn it into something I do. Like, I mean, you were the first person that I would have called Right after I got done talking to my mom, I, I guess my mom had been first, but you, you'd been one B and, uh, God, you'd have been so excited for us. And, and I, all these things that we do that I sub out, like there's so many things that I sub out, that I know you'd be doing it. We'd have a little backhoe, a little trackhoe. You'd be out there still driving that old F-250 around that I got now. And you'd be driving that thing around and towing some tractor that I bought at a surplus and just be doing your thing still. And, and, showing me how to do it so that someday I wouldn't have to sub it out and I can do it myself. But now we got three boys you can be teaching to actually do it. And um God I feel cheated for them. I feel cheated for them and I feel cheated for you. Um and I and I'm I'm sad you're gone. I'm I'm so sad you're gone. But I'm glad you're not in pain anymore. I'm 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 okay that you're not here, but only because I know that you're okay that you're not here. You had did everything you wanted to do. You had taken care of your family. You built a life. You had your, you had your son in a profession that would be able to pay him for life. Um, it taught him well. You had your daughter with, well, speaking of the third person, you had your daughter with a man that you hoped wouldn't be a shit and was going to raise them kids and raise them right and love them like you're supposed to. So, so again, I'm, I didn't, I don't mean to, I didn't mean to skip forward or skip over you around. You just, you just hard. It's hard to talk about, but, um, so yeah, so we, um, we just kept we, we go back. We're we're back now. It's like 2011, 12. We're we're um, moving along. Nick's going to school. She's in her third semester of medical school, or not medical school, nursing school. I'm sorry, nursing program. Third semester of four for nursing program. And we're about 99% again that we lost another child really, really early, um, four or six weeks. But but again, it lost another one. 
And um, we had just basically kind of gave up hope of ever having a baby again. And um, it kind of changed us without knowing it changed us, I think. We, we stopped being around people that had babies. We stopped going to baby showers with friends. We deleted Facebook. Like you just, you, it kind of changes you when you're, we were chasing it, but we weren't chasing it, if that makes sense. We we wanted it, but we weren't. We didn't have money for IVF. Yeah, we, we didn't have, definitely didn't have money for adoption. We were pouring everything everything into the four we had and still holding on to hope that there would be a number five. But all we could do was hope and pray. We couldn't, we didn't have money left over to do anything more at that time. So we, um, so Nick finishes school and, um, and she's fresh out of college. It's certainly not a time to try to get pregnant. Like, I mean, obviously we still, we still hoped every month, but every month come and every month went and it just didn't, didn't happen. And, um, about spring of 2015, Nick, we, we, we've talked about adoption and fostering and, and, IVF or IUI or any of that. We talked about all of it. It was always kind of in the abstract. It's about spring of 15. Nick Nick asked me if I was interested in doing foster care. And, and, I, and I'll admit it. At first I was like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess. Um, but we decided we were going to try to be foster parents. And um, we... Talk to the kids because we don't, we're not going to do something like that without talking to kids. And it was our, our oldest boy, number two, that he just was, he's our social justice warrior. He was like, well, well, yeah, yeah, sure. How many? Yeah. Why not? I mean, we can, we can afford it. Right. And we, we got a bedroom. Like we, we got an empty room. Um, by that point, our, yeah, we got more love. We got room. Um, by that point, our, our daughter was in college and wasn't living at home. So we had an empty bedroom for the first time in, Ever, ever. <laughs> We've never had an empty bedroom. So, so we, again, I'm trying not to gloss over this, but we did. We decided, yeah, we're going to be foster parents. So we get our license and we got our license about two days and they. No, we got the first placement the first day. The first day. Oh, they, um, we, we had got into it to get a baby. I mean, I'll be honest, we had a newborn. We wanted a newborn and we were hoping to get a newborn that had no chance of ever going home that would have been able to have been ours from then and forever. Um, but that wasn't our first case. Our first case, we got our license in the morning and the afternoon, they sent us a picture of a six month old boy sleeping in an office and said, Oh, he's been here all weekend and we haven't been able to place him. So, you know, an hour later he's at our house because that's who we are. Um, we weren't going to, have a six-month-old baby sleeping in an office with a bunch of random people. So um, we had a we were set up for a baby baby, but we didn't quite get a baby baby. But we got a, a wonderful little dude, and um, 
He's here about three weeks, and then they go to us. Oh, so his sister that we that was placed actually is not placed, and she's living in the group home. Uh, so now we have two. <laughs> we have a five-year-old and a six-month-old living at our house, and um, that was a change. Um, but it was good, and, and it taught our kids were old enough at that point to see us be parents, and, and it was for them to be able to see us be a parent to somebody else in the abstract, I think was good for our kids all the way along. And um, it gave it gave them a chance, especially number four, gave him a chance to be a big brother. Um, and we treated those, those kids like they were our kids. They were not foster kids, they were our kids. Um, they, they just were. We call the same to you, Michael, but yep. when we talked about them, they were our daughter. Son. We, we we had them call us auntie and uncle to not confuse them. Um, because they knew who their mom and dad were. But um, but when but when we when we spoke about them, we definitely spoke of them as our children. Um, people would ask you how many kids do you have, and you'd say six, because that was the truth. Um, but we had them for a year, and then had the opportunity to have them placed with adjacent family that didn't have any contact with the, their birth parents over drug use and the fact that their kids have been taken away by CVS multiple times. multiple times. So, but we had the opportunity to have them placed with back essentially with family. Um, so we did that. We have access to aunts and uncles and cousins that we couldn't give them. And that was hugely important. These kids had an awesome bond with those family members and they deserve to continue that. So after, I don't even know, months of back and forth with this new family, making sure that this was gonna be a good thing for these kids, we let them go. And with the promise that we would never be gone if they needed us, we'd be there, but they would get to have some of their family back. So we let them go. And it wasn't it wasn't an easy decision, but it was it was the decision was made in the best interest of the children, which is not only the point of foster care. That's who we are. We make every decision we make in the best interest of the children. So we let them go. And um, it was a couple. We took a couple weeks, went on a vacation, and and kind of found our feet a little bit, and made sure the kids, our kids, were okay. Which they weren't, but they were getting there. Um, it was really, it was really hard on the on on the boys to um all of a sudden they they had this little girl in the house and and a little brother, but they had this little girl in the house that none of them had ever been around, and um. It was real hard on the boys to have everybody go. But um, we made the decision to, to do it again. And um, we were placed with a little girl. But we were baby girl, like two-day-old, one-day-old, two-day-old. Pick her up in the hospital. We, but we were, we were pretty sure that she wasn't she wasn't going to be staying. There was, um, there not that you don't get emotionally attached right away because you do, but we were we were pretty sure she wasn't going to be staying. It was more of a paperwork issue with some immigration stuff, um, and it was. And she we had her, yeah, about twenty four hours, and then and then she was placed back with her mom, and 
and, and we just obviously we assume everything was okay um, once they got some paperwork cleared up to confirm who was who. So, but um, shortly thereafter, we got the opportunity to have another placement of a little boy, uh, baby boy, just a couple days old, and um, like yeah, just we jumped on it. And they told us the day he come that he was the ninth child of this mother. Um, didn't have custody of any of her kids. Yeah, didn't have custody of any of her kids, and there was essentially no chance of this child ever going home. So I, I was gone quite a bit at the time. I was still working on the road for my company that I was working at. And, um, but Nick just immediately fell in love and decided right away that he was ours, not temporary. He was ours. And um, so this is in um, summer of 20, no, yeah, summer of 16, summer, summer of 2016. And we decided that he's ours. So we've had him just about a month and um, caseworker calls and says that we got to go to court for this. They call it ICWA, which means Indian Child Welfare Act. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean we got to go to court for ICWA? Well, he, he's an ICWA case. So for somebody that's not familiar with what that means is essentially when a child is placed into an ICWA case in, in Indian Child Welfare Act, I, we as non-natives have absolutely zero chance of ever adopting this child. Um, we knew of people that had had babies two years and three years, and they get a call at noon that they've been placed with a tribal member home in Minnesota, and they're going to move 1,500 miles away, and you got to have their backpack by four, they're coming to get them. <laughs> so um, we would not, I can't say that we wouldn't have taken this baby if we had known that he was an equal case, but we definitely would have approached it differently. Um, certainly would have loved him and treated him as ours, but not thought of him as ours, if that makes sense. Um, but we made the decision right then and there because of where we were already both at emotionally with it. Nick more than me again, because I've been on the road so much, but I had fell in love with a little dude too. Um, we made the decision that we were going to have him placed with uh, an Iqua family and we were, and we closed our license. We, gave up on having kids. The, the day he left, we, we were done. We were never having a baby in the house again. Not one of ours. All, all that was left was the hope for grandkids. So that summer of uh, 2016 and the next, um, yeah, the next two and a half years or so were pretty, pretty sad around here, I guess. Like, we, but we, but we were able to start a business. Um, we had a nephew that we got to. Yep. Dote on. Yep, we had a nephew back in Michigan that we flew back and forth every six weeks, or they came to us, and um, he he was born there in summer sixteen, and um, that's not right. Summer, summer 17, sorry, summer 17. And uh, I'll be, be honest, being able to be around him was um, one of the only things that was enjoyable to, to 
know that we had another visit coming up and we were going to see him. And then we have our, our niece and nephew were still, they were in their early teen years, but we were, we'd get to see them too. And we'd go back and it was be able to be around young kids again. And it wasn't, I mean, he was a baby. So it was, I, I don't want to put a slight on anybody else. We were obviously there to see everybody, but it was, it was nice to be around a baby. And it was the first baby that we had been around since, honestly, it's the first baby we'd been around hardly at all since, other than the, the two placements since 2002, because we had distanced ourselves from babies without even realizing we distanced ourselves from babies. But, um, but he was born and, and we had made the decision that we wanted to get healthy. And in um, 2018, we started taking care of ourselves. Um, started working out and eating right and losing weight and just take care of ourselves. And, and um, that summer, um, you know, Nick had asked me if I had, you know, like if we started talking about adoption again and it just still wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't not, and I shouldn't say not financially feasible because at this point we're, we're doing much different financially. I'm not getting into that, but we, we are. And, um, but it just, the conversation never really never really started. Like she'd bring it up and I, I just didn't really jump on it. I didn't jump on the foster subject. I didn't jump on the adoption subject. I didn't jump on any of it. And then in um, summer of 19, Nick asked me, do you know where Sacramento, how, how far Sacramento? And I, I, I've been doing quite a bit of work in California, but not a bunch up north, but I, you know, I knew relative distance. It was like, I'm like, I don't know, like 14 hours and just kind of left it at that. And then she just, like, it was just really a weird, random question. So, it's a couple of days, and I, I asked her, I said, what, why do you want to know where Sacramento is? Oh, well, there's this, um, there's this clinic. So, this, this information right here is probably going to, if you, if you know us and you're hearing this information, this is going to catch an awful lot of you off guard. And um, if you don't know us, um, just bear with us. So, so anyway, so Nick asked me where Sacramento is, and I tell her, and, and, and again, it's a couple days, and I, I asked her, why do you want to know where Sacramento is? She's like, well, there's this clinic. So this clinic, turns out, is a, I don't want to screw up how to explain it, the, it's not an IVF clinic. It's a embryo donation facility where women can donate embryos and women donate eggs. Eggs. Eggs screwed up. Are donating sperm and then embryos are created. Those embryos then become available to couples or single women, whatever, that want to have a baby and aren't able to, or whatever the circumstances is, while still being able to experience pregnancy. Essentially, you don't have to go through the adoption process, but this is essentially an adopted child that you get to be pregnant with. And in my thought process, that was the best of both worlds. Anybody that knows us, knows that we 
not only believe, but we live that family is not bound in blood. Family is created in love. Most of our family, we're not genetically related to. So genetics didn't mean anything to us. That had, that had no bearing whatsoever on the ability to love any child. But to be able to experience the pregnancy too was just icing on the cake, I guess. So, so yeah, so we, we contacted this clinic in, in um, September of 2019. We made a trip over to Sacramento and, and talked with the doctors and the facility. And um, we, were, we were pretty sure we wanted to do it before. But once we got over there and met these people that are just wonderful, wonderful people. Um, I'll say their name, California Conceptions Clinic. If, if anybody wants to look it up, please do. Um, wonderful facility. Um, we made a decision that we were going to do this. We were going to have a kid. Um, we were going to try. Uh, we, we didn't know anyone. We, like I said, we knew we, that we had potentially lost two 10 years or nine years before that and six years before that had, had most likely lost two. So we didn't know for sure whether there was, whether it worked. Um, but we just, like I said, so we started the process and in um, December of 2019, we had one um, embryo created and one embryo implanted. Or, or we, we, we chose the mother, we chose the, the egg donor, we chose the profile, we chose the egg donor and the sperm donor and, and the facility created the embryo and we had it implanted. Um, on December 17th of 2019 and um, on December 27th of, this, of 2019, we found out that it didn't work, um, which when you've been trying to have a child for 17 years, technically, or been wanting one for 17 years and been actively trying for 13 was exceedingly devastating. Um, that it didn't work and, it, and there's not any reason that it shouldn't. It was a, they grade the embryos and the embryo was like a grade AA, AA which is like, the, um, there was just no reason for it to have not worked. So, so <laughs> come December 27th, we know for sure after we get the blood test that it didn't work. And, um, so the next step is to go back on some meds again and try to be prepared. If you want to do it again, we had, we had decided that we would try three times. Um, so, so we're moving along and trying to decide what we want to look at because you have to look for a new profile. So we get matched with a new profile in January. And then at, at this time, the, you know, the, the COVID stuff has started. Um, we've been reading about it and knew it was, coming, you know, all across Asia and into Europe. And, you, you know, you just, if you're intelligent, which we are, you're expecting that it's going to hit our shore at some point. So it's all of a sudden, well, how are we going to travel? Because I didn't get into this, but to, we went back and forth to Sacramento 16 times in five months to be able to try to do this program. So we're, we're just looking at the calendar. Like now it's 
it's it's February of, of 2020. I'm Nick's 41. I'm 42. The the kids are are 17 to 23 already. Um, like, are we crazy? But but we're healthy. Like, and we've again we made the decision like a year and a half before to, to start taking care of ourselves and. Um, so we, so we went ahead and, and, um, and tried again. And this time we made the decision to have two, um, embryos implanted. And, on um, did we actually find out on March, March 20th? We found, we, we found out on March 20th for sure that we were pregnant with at least one. Um, we didn't know if it was two or not, but based on the blood levels, we knew that it was at least one. Um, but now it's, it's, um, full blown COVID and we're not flying and we need to get back over to Sacramento to find out, um, they're, they're going to do a, yeah, viability check. And, um, so we... So, so we decide that we're going <laughs> to pack up a car and drive to Sacramento. So we hooked out in the morning early and went as far as Fresno before I got a flat tire on a car that doesn't have a spare because new cars are stupid. Um, so we got hung up in Fresno, but we made, we got a new car switched out in the morning, got, got fresh tires, and we ended up making an appointment. And we find out that, yes, we are 1,000% pregnant but it's only one embryo. And I'll be honest, while we were extremely, extremely excited that we were pregnant, there was also this weird loss that like now, now we, we've lost four, we've lost four embryos. We had lost the one in 10 and the one in 13. And we lost one in 19 and we lost one in 20, but yet still just overjoyed that we were pregnant. And, um, so we were, we were driving home and at this point, Zoom's already happening and everybody's using Zoom everywhere. So we, um, call our, my, my mother-in-law and, and father-in-law and tell them we want to Zoom them. And we're driving down the road and in the car and they, uh, ask us, um, where are you guys at? And they're like, oh, we're in uh, Indio, California. Indio? Why are you in Indio? And um, the excitement's palpable at this point, and we just hold up a, we had a ultrasound picture that was, I don't even know how to explain it, just the, 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 it was Leah. Um, <laughs> There wasn't, there wasn't anything to see other than a circle and a dot um, and our name and date and stuff, but it was Leah. And that was the first picture we got to show Grandma and Grandpa that we were seven weeks. When, when you do the, the transfer like that, you technically start a couple weeks early, so we're, we're already seven weeks pregnant. And um, you know it's way too early to tell anybody, but but you, you just, I mean, after this long, we couldn't wait, and we tell them, and and I don't know what reaction we were hoping for, but we got a good one. Um, they were <laughs> over the moon to say the least. Um, 
so yeah, we didn't really, um, we like said we talked to them for about an hour and told them everything and we, um, we had it on down the road and, um, that no one but our kids knew that we were doing these treatments that we were afraid they wouldn't work and then we'd have to explain that to more people. We were afraid anybody that wanted to judge us for the decision to do it. So we didn't tell anybody but the kids. You know, we didn't we didn't want anybody to be like, well, you guys already have four and you're, you're old. And you're you're forty and, and how the much kids are grown. And how much does that cost? And and you're gonna be sixty two before they're out of high school and yada yada. And you just don't wanna hear anybody's opinion on anything and so we just, we didn't tell anybody. We just, we didn't, I shouldn't say we kept it a secret. We just, we just omitted We didn't tell you. So again, for those of you that know us, um, I apologize for the backstories of work and whatnot. And I did have a little bit of work in Sacramento, but not 16 trips worth. Most of it could have been done over the phone. Um, <laughs> so sorry. But, um, he said we made the decision that we wanted to do this and we were going to do it and everything was good. Um, and then we had a, we had a scare early, uh, at about 12 eight weeks, weeks, eight, eight weeks, um, had a little bit, a little bit of spotting and, and thought. Subchorionic hemorrhage. Yeah. What, a very it, small one. Then it resolved. We, we thought we lost her and, um, Went in and got some, you know, emergency. Um, did a another ultrasound, internal one where they can go and check, and everything was still there, and everything still looked good and healthy, and we didn't, and we didn't lose her, and everything was good. So we we start telling some people that we're pregnant, and um, we we started with. Um, with our with our good friends and our and our godson, and we let them know. And um, to say that they were excited for us would be that would be the undersell of the century. Um, and then we we got to tell um, Nick's brother and and, and sister in law and and the, and the kids, and got to tell them, and they were pretty excited for us too. And um, and then I, I I told Nick as a as a dad, I don't, I don't get to be pregnant. As a dad, what I get to do is I get to tell everybody. So I think I told everybody. I, I told the woman working at Shell and the one at Ace, and I told every customer I knew and random pizza delivery boys. I told everybody I knew that we were pregnant. We were having a kid. Um, and we just started telling people, and and then we just um, just stayed pregnant, and. Um, like I said, and COVID was going on, and COVID, COVID sucks. Um, COVID took away some of the outward excitement of being pregnant. You didn't, Nick didn't have the opportunity to go see her mom when she was pregnant this time. Um, her mom is, um, lives in another state now, and um, we didn't get to see her mom and, and, and stepdad the entire time that we were pregnant. Um, they didn't, I mean, we got to zoom it and she sent pictures every couple weeks and, but we didn't, didn't get to be part of it. 
and um, we didn't get to go see our family in Michigan and all of our friends, and um, they didn't get to be a part of it. You got to hear about it and see countless Facebook posts or emails or text messages, but they didn't get to really be a part of it. And, um, you know, COVID cheated us out of that. But um, really, we didn't have any hitches, though. Everything, the pregnancy was normal. And I hate that word, but that it's what it was. It was normal. Every checkup was right. Every everything was right. Every doctor's appointment was right. Measurements were right. Heart rate right. Blood work right. Um, we had a bunch of genetic testing done. Again, knowing because that it was a um, donated embryo, we had some additional testing done to make to check for things and and make sure she was carrying properly and just everything was normal. Perfect. Perfect. Normal is a shit word. Perfect. Everything's perfect. And, um, at, uh, 30, <laughs> at 35 weeks and five days, all of a sudden something wasn't perfect. Um, she was due for her 36 week checkup on Friday and, uh, on Wednesday afternoon, something was not right. And um, we called the nurse line, because again, COVID, can't just run into the hospital. We weren't sure I was even gonna be able to be there. And um, we ended up going in and, and they put her on a monitor overnight and didn't really push anything or press anything, just kind of put her on a monitor overnight and in the morning um, decided they were going to do an ultrasound. They come in and did an ultrasound and decided that something was wrong. Didn't know what was wrong, but that something was wrong. And um, made the decision that whatever it was was going to be easily treat, more easily treated on the outside of the inside. So they made the decision to do emergency C-section. Um, so at 12.15 in the afternoon... On Thursday, October 29th, Miss Leah Kayan was born. 1245. I said 12.15, I'm sorry. It is 12.45. My apologies, Leah. 12.45. Um, and she came out, and she wasn't crying, and she was little, and she was kind of purple um, and her her hands were fists were clenched and her and her hands and arms and stuff were turned inwards if, if any of you have ever seen a neuroposture neuro posture never seen a boxer get knocked out where they go stiff and turn their hands in before they hit the canvas that's what my baby looked like when she was born and um, and you know right away that something's wrong um, again, we're not, we're not naive. We're not wet behind the ears. We've, we've been around the block a couple times and you, you know, you know, something's not right, but you're, you're telling yourself it can't be that. It can't be that. It's gotta be, it's gotta be something else. It's gotta be a bacterial infection. It's gotta be a enzyme deficiency. It's, it's gotta be something else. Run the test, run the test, do it, run it, do everything you can, do it all. 
And um, about one in the afternoon on Saturday, she's Leah's two days old. About one in the afternoon on Saturday, they decide they're going to take her down for a MRI, and they tell us that she's just going to get the MRI done, and then she's going to go back to the NICU and just rest comfortably until Monday. They're not going to read it. They're not even going to be able to read it till Monday, uh, just between the neurologist being gone and and Halloween and COVID and whatever, and um. Up until then, she had been ventilated. She was on TPN. She had IVs and a central line. She had had an EEG that didn't show any brain activity, but the neurologist was still trying to be optimistic. Maybe it was a passing phase, he said. Because she was showing, she was breathing over, she was assisting the vent. She was breathing with the vent. The normal respirations for a baby is about 40, and the vent was doing about 20, and she was doing about 20. And there there was some positive signs. But, um, so they, they, they take her down to do the MRI and come back and they kind of tell us just, you know, just tuck in for the next day and a half and stay comfortable. And we're going to make, we're going to make arrangements so you can hold her. We haven't held her. Um, tell us that they're, that they're going to be able to hold her. And, um, so Nick holds her and, um, I held her for a little bit after, but I, I, I told Nick this the whole time that I, the most comfort I got was watching her be with Leah. I got more comfort watching Nick be with Leah than I got being with Leah. Um, she was never as safe as she was, except when she was in her mother's arms. Um, so we went to dinner at the hospital and uh, they paged us, which is anybody serving the hospital knows that's not good. And we come down and they tell us that they've read the scans and they want to talk to us. Um, do you want to go over to this other more private room? Which again, if you've ever been in the hospital, anytime they want to take you to another room, it's never good news. Um, so they take us over to this other room and they tell us that, that Leah is, has a, a global ischemic brain injury. And it's not recoverable. Um, that this is, She'll be in a persistent vegetative state the entirety of her life. Um, and, you know, Nick and I, we took about two minutes to try to breathe. And um, we made the decision right then that that wasn't anything that we wanted for her. It, it wasn't fair to, to Leah. Um, we would have stayed in the hospital with her every day until the end of our life if there was any hope of it getting better. Well, even if there was hope of it not being worse, there wasn't. It, it was going to be... It was going to be pressure ulcers and UTIs and 
pneumonia from the ventilator and, and pain. Pain and suffering that she didn't deserve. So we um we made the decision that we were gonna remove support. Um, but they needed to get the kids up there. They needed to get around the COVID protocol enough of the shit. We've done what we're supposed to do. We've wore our masks. We've used our sanitizer. We haven't went anywhere. And our kids hadn't met their sister yet because of it. So we, like I said, we we're out here. It's just us. It's always been the six of us out here. My mother-in-law doesn't live here anymore. My father-in-law doesn't live here anymore. It's, um, it's just us on an island. And um, we have some friends, and we have some we have, we have some marriage family, um, but nobody that we're really close with, which is unfortunate, but it's just a fact. Um, so it's just us, and, we, and the kids hadn't been able to meet their sister yet, and we told them they needed to make it happen, so they made it happen. The kids got up to the hospital that night, um, Halloween, and. Um, they all took a turn holding her. Um, she was baptized. We had we we had her baptized, and uh, we had her godparents named that night. And um, our two youngest boys had never been baptized. Um, part of it was the falling out with the church back almost twenty years ago now. Um, the two youngest boys decided to get baptized with their sister on the same night, um, which I was pretty proud of. Um, got to see a side of my middle son that I haven't seen since middle school. Uh, when you're a skinny short kid, you, you have to put on a tough exterior in middle school and high school and, and you have to be cool all the time. And I, you got to see a side of my middle son that I haven't seen in a long time. Um, I mean, honestly, all of them. They, they, our kids are, we, we've had a lot of, we, there's some, a lot of stuff we skipped over here. We've had a lot of death. We've had a lot of cancer, a lot of sickness. Um, moved across the country, done all kinds of awful things. And our kids have been sheltered from as much of it as possible, but they certainly know it exists. Um, but our kids handled... Halloween night of 2020 as best any kids their age could have ever handled it. Um, they come in, they all held her, they talked to her, kissed her, told her stories, sang to her. Um, I got to hold her and um, I always very poorly hummed uh, Les Mis to all the kids as I rocked them. I had an opportunity to hold her and hum Les Mis to her. Um, and then it was mom's turn. And um, Nick held her and kissed her and doted on her. And when she was ready, which we were never really ready, but when we were ready, we had them remove her from life support. Um, she'd stopped breathing over the ventilator kind of mid-afternoon on Saturday. So when we removed her from the ventilator, we fully expected that she would pass within a few minutes. And, um, 
10.17 p.m. on Halloween night, we took her off her ventilator. And in the first 10 minutes or so, she didn't really breathe much. She kind of gasped hard a couple times and didn't. Then she started breathing. <laughs> she, um, she started breathing and all of a sudden she was breathing 40 respirations a minute and her heartbeat was ready, steady and strong at 155, right where it been. And, um, she wasn't ready to go. She wasn't ready to go. She's a fighter. Um, so we were in the hospital another day and a half and we took her home. We, we came home on hospice knowing that she was going to pass with us at home. And we spent the next three and a half days, um, loving her, holding her, hugging her. Kissing her, sleeping with her, um, changing diapers, um, telling stories and singing songs, and and um, Grandma got to talk. Grandma and Grandpa got to talk to her just on Zoom, but better than nothing, um, got to see her and talk to her, and. Um, At a week old in 19 minutes at 1.03 p.m. on Thursday, the 5th of November, Leah passed on. Um, she was surrounded by her family. The kids were all here. We were, we were all within 10 feet of each other. Um, and she, she knew sadness from us. She got to see us sad. But she also got to see us happy and she got to see us love and, and she never got to know any pain. She got nothing but hugs and kisses and stories and songs. And we were outside on the porch and she had wind in her face and, and her sun in her face and wind in her hair and hummingbirds eating on the bushes out front and bees everywhere and there was a rainbow on the drive home and she she got to live more in a week especially the last three and a half days than a lot of people will ever live their entire life 